The episode you're about to listen to was released back when the Mere Christians podcast was called The Call to Mastery. Now, if you love Mere Christians, you're still going to love these older episodes because the majority of each conversation focuses on how the gospel influences the work of our guests. With that disclaimer out of the way, please enjoy the episode. Hey everybody, welcome to The Call to Mastery. I'm Jordan Rayner. This is a podcast for Christians who want to do their most exceptional work for the glory of God and the good of others. Each week, I host a conversation with somebody who is following Jesus Christ and also pursuing world-class mastery of their craft. We talk about their path to mastery. We talk about their daily habits and routines and how their faith influences their work. Today, I'm introducing you guys to my friend, Glow Atanmo. She is a world-class travel blogger who's built a crazy profitable multi-six-figure business while traveling the world, going to more than 80 different countries. She's been featured on Oprah, Forbes, and the BBC, just to name a few. Uh, we've become really, really fast friends over the last few months. So Glow and I recently sat down and we talked about how she turned 500 bucks after graduating college into this hugely profitable travel blog. We talked about the important difference between learn from me and look at me content. And we talked about how to stop comparing your chapter one to other people's chapter 20 when you're starting a business. By the way, quick technical note, I don't know what happened. Something went wrong with my microphone in this episode, so I had to record this through my laptop mic. So apologies for not bringing you guys the typical studio-level quality that we typically have on The Call to Mastery. I hope you guys can forgive me. Please enjoy this great episode with my friend, Glow Atanma. Glow, my new friend, I'm so happy you're here. This is going to be fun. This is going to be, yeah, I'm, I'm stoked. I'm excited. <laughs> so I, I got to start here. You and I, so you and I have had many conversations over the last few months, but we've never actually talked about this. You've traveled to what, 80 countries? Is that 80, right? 80 countries across six continents. Yeah. That's nuts. All right. I'm going to put you on the spot. And I know this is an impossible question, but top three places. Go. Top three, Japan, Norway, Sri Lanka. Of course I've been asked. Oh my gosh, easy. <laughs> Okay, but specifically within Japan, so I've never been in Japan. I've always wanted to go. I was planning on going to the Olympics this year. Obviously, that did not pan out. Is Tokyo the spot? Should you take a tour of the whole country? Like, wh- how, how do you do Japan well? Yeah, that's a good question. So I was very fortunate to have been invited by the tourism board. So I was there for two weeks and we toured pretty much the whole country, but definitely Kyoto was one of the highlights. Hiroshima is obviously lots of history there. Tokyo is insane. I don't know if you're a Mario Kart fan. But yeah, you, of course. You can like get the actual like Mario Kart mobile like cars and drive with your friends. Into- what? <laughs> it's like. Not- actual Mario Kart cards, like driving around. (laughs) That's what I love about Japan. Anything is possible. You're 10 years in the future. (laughs) Oh my gosh. I'm all in just, just for Mario Kart. I'm in one of the first episodes I ever recorded of the podcast was with Horst Schultze, the co-founder of the Ritz Carlton hotel group. And I love talking to him about just his favorite hotels. I'm curious. Do you have a favorite hotel in the world? 
Oh, no, that's something I've never been asked before. I think because I love to switch up between Airbnbs and hotels and just villas, it's really hard to pinpoint a chain. Yeah. But I'll say I tend to lean on the Airbnb villas, especially yeah. Bali, Southeast Asia. Yeah, because it's just so just serene and just different. I still have Horst's recommendation on my list. It's this hotel in New Zealand. I can't. I think it's called the Hookah Lodge, something like that. Uh, because again, it's the greatest hotel in the world. I'm like, okay, if, if the co-founder of the Ritz Carlton says the greatest hotel in the world, and it's not a Ritz property, I'm in. So tell us, tell us your story, right? Obviously, I know this. I want our listeners to hear your story and the path that led you to building this pretty significant business around your travel blog. Yeah. Okay. I'll give you the, I guess, 60 second version, two minute version. No, get it. Take, take as much time as you want. I want to draw this out. It's such a great story. Well, gosh, let, let's say it starts in kindergarten and not to like, <laughs> but here's the first time I realized I was an entrepreneur. I was sick. And so my mom gave me cough drops. And so I took it to school and all of a sudden I saw everyone was like, you know, as a kindergartner, you know, you see a red candy looking thing and you want a piece of it. And I'm like, no, like this is for me. And I'm seeing the demand. All of a sudden, here I am learning supply and demand as a kindergartner. So the next day I brought the whole pack of cough drops and I sold them for a quarter. I love it. <laughs> my kindergarten teacher found out, called my mom and <laughs> we had a discussion. But like I saw nothing wrong with it. And as I grew older, like my hustle, I guess, advanced and evolved. I was selling airheads in high school. I was burning mixtapes on LimeWire and FrostWire. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, whatever people needed, I was like, okay, I got you. I got you. Like, like, I can make it work. Because one thing about Nigerian culture, so both my parents are Nigerian, born and raised in Nigeria, had me in California. But there's no such thing as allowance. Like I saw my friends asking their parents for money, like just candy money and, and weekend money. And so if a Nigerian kid tried to ask their parents for, for allowance, they're like, I, I, I allow you to live in my house. <laughs> I allow you to that. That is your allowance. <laughs> so it's like I have to make my own allowance. So I've always kind of figured out how to be an entrepreneur and, and meet my own needs. So when I created my first blog at 11 years old, on Exanga, a platform that's oh my goodness, wow, archived like doesn't exist. <laughs> yeah, that was my first of six blogs. So a lot of people see my travel blog now, and they're like, "Oh, it's so amazing! How did you get all this success?" And I'm like, "Actually, it's my sixth blog. You didn't see the first five because they pretty much failed." Um, and one thing about me is like, people, I'm not just consistent. I'm consistently experimenting with <laughs> my talents, with what I want to talk about, with my hobbies, with my opinions and my perspectives and what I want to share with the world. But at 11 years old, I saw the power in being able to publish words and own a corner of the internet and connect to the rest of the world. And I was just obsessed. And so since then, I've created a blog. And when I tra traveled abroad and studied abroad in 2013, that was the birth of the blogabroad.com. And it's going to be eight years this year, which is ugh, insane. It's been that long. But that blog has funded, uh, I mean, at least 60 of the countries that I've been to. So it, it's been a blessing and a journey to see where it's gotten me. And yeah, it, it's kind of just surreal to think about. <laughs> yeah. So I want to go back to the idea of experimentation in a minute, but first tell the story, tell the founding story of like how you got started traveling around the world. Like that first trip, I think it was to London. Is that right? You had like 500 bucks to your name. Like tell that story. Yeah. So when I studied abroad, like the first 
man, there's, there's so many layers. Okay. I'll, I'll tell the, the one where, when I realized that I wanted to travel after coming back from a semester abroad. Yeah. So I was a pre-med major, like with Nigerian households, again, you're a doctor, a lawyer or a disappointment. So I literally was a pre-med major for four, well, for two years. And then I told my mom the fifth year, like 10 days before graduation, I was like, by the way, I changed my degree to communications and marketing. (laughs) <laughs> like mass media. And once, you know, 10 days after graduation, I was like, I went to school in Kansas. So it means I would have to go back home to Arizona after graduation. So I was like, I got to get out of the country because I have nowhere else to go. And I just want to be as far away from her wrath as possible because yeah. she was so upset with me. And so I had about $500 of like graduation money and I like booked a one-way ticket to the UK. And thankfully I was able to get an internship that held me down for at least four months. But when I was in the UK, my visa was expiring. And then I was down to like a hundred bucks. And I was just looking on Ryanair, Ryanair and EasyJet. They're like, you know, uh, budget airlines in Europe. Yeah, I saw a 15 euro flight to Spain and I was like, okay, I guess I'm going to Spain. I was like, I don't know Spanish. I don't know what I'm doing, but I've always been the kind of person where if I have a phone, if I have Wi-Fi connection, if I have a laptop, I have a camera, I'm already so privileged with these resources. Glow, you're going to figure out a way to use this to make money. So I get to Spain. I'm like hostel hopping. I would literally go into hostels and be like, hey, like, here's my Instagram. Let me run your page. You know, who works at reception? I'm a native English speaker. Let me run your reception for you. All I, all I ask for is a bed in return. Hmm. I wasn't asking for much. And I think that's something that's super important for people to understand starting out. There's this level of entitlement that I think a lot of people have because, you know, maybe they have a lot of skills or maybe they have certain tools, but I was so humble in my approach because I was like, look, I'm already so fortunate to be seeing the world. If I'm going to be broke and starving, let it be in Paris. Like, (laughs) I was okay with like, you know, there were many days where I just didn't eat. I lost a lot of weight. Like my early travel pictures, I was like, so thin because I wasn't eating, but I was like, you know, creating and building the brand. And one thing about Nigerians is, as well is that if you ask your mom for money or you ask your mom for help, you will take that to your grave. You will never <laughs> hear the end of like, Gloria, I told you if you would just be a doctor, you could be a lawyer, you wouldn't have this problem. And I was like, nope, I'm not giving my mom that satisfaction. I'm going to figure it out. And I hustled and I built and I posted and I took pictures and I wrote even when I, you know, I didn't have the energy, even when I was tired, even when I was broke. Um, and I went broke several times, but it's one of those things where if you do something long enough, just the longevity and the persistence of the pursuit is what will get you to the top. Yeah. You know, I talk about this in, in my book, Master of One, right? So three keys to mastery that seem to come up in every interview I did for that book. You know, the first is apprenticeships. The second is purposeful practice, right? Not naive practice, but purposefully practicing your craft. And the third is connected to that. And I think it's the rarest key. It's just discipline over time. Like if you stick with something long enough and the Lord has gifted you with the raw talent and and gifts to kind of cultivate there, yeah, I don't know. You you can kind of figure figure anything out, right? So for you, it's just like a lot of grit and a lot of time. I mean, six blogs starting (laughs) at the age of 11, like that is the very opposite of an overnight success, right? Exactly. And people are so quick to compare their chapter one to my chapter 20. And I'm like, no, 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 I've never archived any of my Instagram posts. Please go back to 2008 and see like the the footage that I was recording uh, back then when I 
yeah, was just starting out. <laughs> do you do that for your, uh, so I, that's, that's really interesting. You've never archived Instagram posts. Do no. you do that for your audience's good? Be like, hey, look, I've been like working at this for 12 years, 13 years, or is it for you? Or is it a little bit of both? I think a little bit of both. And, and, and now that I'm on the coaching and teaching side, I think it's so important for people to be able to contextualize my journey because it's so easy to feel discouraged if you're just starting your blogging journey in 2020, where it now feels very saturated. But in like 2013, when I was pitching my first campaigns and jobs, like influencer marketing wasn't a thing. Like working with travel bloggers wasn't a thing. Like right. I remember literally one of the brands that I pitched, they were like, oh my gosh, we would never pay a travel blogger. Like, wow. Why? why would, like they almost like insulted me for pitching. Right. And I could have easily been like, wow, who am I to think that I can get paid to travel? And I could have quit right there and then. I was like, okay, they don't see it. That's all right. One, one no is closer to my next yes. You know, and I, I just... I stayed in there. And I think I also tell my students this as well, but a lot of the most successful bloggers today aren't even that talented. And I don't say that as a slight, but I mean, it's just, they stuck around the longest. They just stopped giving up because six months is the average lifespan of a blogger from start to finish of like, you know, buying their domain and then like quitting because they're not making money six months. I'm like, that's, if you were pregnant, you wouldn't even bring a baby to full term. Like you guys. Come on, you know, so I, I try to remind people it, it is, you got to be in it for the long game. And, and not just for like bloggers and like content entrepreneurs. I think this is true of any entrepreneur, right? It's discipline over time. Here's the other thing that sticks out to me about your story that I don't know that I've ever talked about this in the podcast, but I think about this a lot. It's this why not me quality, Right. It's this. And I think this is, I don't know, just like ingrained in you at an early age. I know it was for me. Like I can trace it back to at least the eighth grade. It's not arrogance. I don't think most of the time. It's just this idea that like, yeah, if that person can do this, like, why can't I? Like if Glow can build a multi six figure revenue stream off of a travel blog, why can't I do it? Like, no offense to you. Like, like it's just like, it's having that, that, I don't know, that gene of, vision and ambition for your life that that doesn't spill into arrogance. Does that does that resonate with you? Does that make sense at all? 100%. And I, I think you said it exactly, like being a visionary and not being intimidated by the size and the goals of what other people have been able to accomplish. And I think it's this idea of favor as well. Like as believers, we say in the church, like favor ain't fair. Like when God has mm-hmm. favor over your life, there is not a single door that a man can close that God can't open back up. So I think I've always gotten like, God, you got my back. Like God, I've seen what God has done in my life in the past. So I'm like, there's nothing that can happen that would ever make me feel like God can't rescue or save or put his hand in my life to like get me back on my path in some way. So I just, I have a lot of favor in my life and I'm very bold in proclaiming that, you know, God has been such a massive part of my journey. And so I'm just really thankful. I love that. I want to go back to this idea of experimentation. You say you're constantly experimenting. I feel like I am too. I was just telling you about a project that I've been experimenting with that I'm not going to talk about publicly yet. But I love this idea of experimentation. But how do you manage the tension between always experimenting and focusing on the thing that's driving results today, right? I know Google talks a lot about like the 80-20 principle there, right? So spend 80% of your time of the business focusing on the thing that's generating 80% of 
revenue, right? And spend the other 20% experimenting. Is that roughly your breakdown? How do you, how do you think about that? Yeah. So if I just look at other bloggers and content creators, a lot of them are just stuck on the, like the hamster wheel of just like turning out content or turning into like a brand junkie where they're just constantly promoting other brands. And I started to veer out like in 2017 when I saw other bloggers just only working with brands. I was like, okay, what's the long game here? Why don't I build my own personal brand and start creating my own products, courses, services, retreats, summits? That way I don't have to rely on brands needing me or having a campaign in order for me to make money. And I started doing that before a lot of other bloggers and I was able to get just a head start. And when I look at like the blogging courses, if you look at the travel blogging industry, any travel blogger who's like getting ready to start it, like they will be bombarded and say, oh my God, Glow, take Glow's course, take Glow's course. And that's because I put my foot, I put skin in the game early on. One thing that I try to do with just everything that I'm doing, like I always want to do, I'm always going to be producing. So I think relevancy is, is important. And I, I do believe in service as well, very service driven with my content. So as long as I'm doing something that serves my audience and serves my community, that will never change. And that's like the one constant. But in behind the scenes, the thing that things that people don't see are me planning out my six, nine, one year strategy, sorry, six month, nine month, or one year strategy of like what's to come. And that's me experimenting with something different. And when you think of musicians and artists, like with every album they drop, they have to reinvent themselves. If you keep coming you keep producing the same type of music, let's say Adele, if all of her albums were the same type of content, same type of songs, people would get tired of that. So every artist has to reinvent themselves for their next album, for their next project, because they're evolving, they're growing, they're learning, and they want to bring their audience along for that journey. Yeah, no, that's really good. Taylor Swift talks a lot about this, right? Her, her perspective is like, I just think she's like a brilliant brand manager, right? She's like, yeah, it is especially hard for women. Like women are forced to reinvent themselves, in her opinion, like more than more than men. But I, I do think it's a challenge across the board for any creator, right? To constantly be reinventing yourself with the next book, with the next podcast, with the next whatever that product is. One thing I wanted to ask you about is like, I think a lot of people fall into entrepreneurship because they were just following something that they love, right? So for you, that was like travel, right? But try to think of another example, like the guy who loves motorcycles, right? Like falls into owning a motorcycle repair business. He didn't really want to be an entrepreneur. He just like loved motorcycles. Like you just like loved to travel. And I think it's hard when you're in that position to like stay in love with that thing once it becomes your primary source of income. I'm curious if that's been a challenge for you and how you've managed that. Yeah, I would always tell people, do what makes you happy and then do what makes you money and then repeat the cycle until the latter does both. And when you're chasing the joy and chasing fulfillment and chasing happiness, people say it's not supposed to feel like work, but you know, when, when money does get involved, it does complicate it. And so I, I'm very cognizant about making sure I don't monetize everything that I'm good at. I recently did my the interior design of my new apartment and I got so I like I've kind of been teasing some of the decor because I just I don't want people that much into my space, I realized. But people are just like, oh my God, you should start a home decor business. I was like, no, please <laughs> let me have something that I can just do for fun. Yeah. That brings me fulfillment. Like playing the piano. Like I've been playing yeah. the 
teenager, but I stopped for a few years. So I'm, I'm picking it up again, not for any monetization reasons or brand building. I just want to do something that's a hobby. Like it's so healthy as entrepreneurs to have hobbies. So if you monetize everything, you're going to go crazy. <laughs> yeah. No, that's exactly right. Yeah, and I, I, you, you're reminding me of a conversation I had in the podcast with Joel Manby, the former CEO of SeaWorld. And he was saying that like he went through a pretty dark period of his career that we talked about in the podcast. He went through a really painful divorce. And one of the things that he pointed to was just a lack of play, a lack of hobbies that, that had no intention behind him. And actually, ironically enough, he talked about piano. He's like, yeah, I used to play piano like at the end of the day to just unwind when I was at my healthiest. So I think there's a lot of there's a lot of wisdom there, not in the piano specifically, but about having something to which there's no purpose other than like pure joy and like feeling the father's pleasure behind it. Yeah, this year I literally wrote down like I was I was setting my 2020 goals. I just wrote in big bold letters, I want to have more fun. Yeah. <laughs> it wasn't I've been there. <laughs> wasn't that I wasn't having fun. Obviously, traveling the world and getting paid to do it and hosting luxury retreats, it was amazing. But I felt like it was 2019, there was a lot of growing pains and it was such a blur that I I really wanted to slow down and take in the moments more and really do things on my own terms, which is kind of like, it's almost like 360 because now I turned down a lot of travel, well, not, not now, now, but in the beginning of the year and, and late last year, I was turning down travel jobs because I wanted to now travel my style in my way. So it's kind of ironic. I was so desperate to get paid to travel. And now I'm like, no, no, no. I prefer to pay for my own travels yeah, because I want yeah. to do it my way or my style. I want to go back to something you said a couple of minutes ago, this idea of like follow what brings you joy and then follow what people will pay for. I, I want to challenge you a little bit because I don't think that's purely what you've done based on what I know of your story. I think you have really prioritized following what will serve people well. You talked about like serving through content. I think that's what you're doing, right? You you understand you you understand your audience really really well. You're serving them really really well, and as you do, I think that brings you joy. Would you agree with that? That's a huge. That, that's that's such a great observation, honestly. And I think as you're building a brand as an influencer and, and as a blogger, I think it is a little bit of a selfish pursuit. And I think it was Clay Hebert that coined this phrase, but he was saying that a lot of influencers post a lot of look at me content instead of learn from me content. And once you can really start prioritizing the learn from me versus look at me, that's when you're getting more service driven in your content. Yeah, that's really good. So going back to experimentation, you have been experimenting with some new content over the last few weeks. I I think one of the marks of I think one of the marks of a great content creator is that your audience will basically consume whatever you publish right on any topic. And you've proven that with this recent experiment in the wake of the global outrage over the murder of George Floyd. You know, you run a travel blog, but you've used your platform to create a lot of content around this issue and how we can be better allies of the Black community. Can you talk through your thought process as you decided to make that, I don't know if you would call it a pivoting content temporarily, but you know, from the outside looking in, a pivoting content? Yeah, definitely. So I remember back in May when Ahmaud Arbery happened, I was so 
emotionally overwhelmed that because okay so in 2020 my the promise I made to myself and to my audience was that I would post every single day of 2020 and that's just you know my way of showing up and serving and so when May happened Maude Arbery happened I was like do I break this commitment that I've made to myself and my audience in order to take care of myself. And obviously, you know, it's a no-brainer, of course, take care of yourself. But I think sometimes we get so caught up in the service of others that we forget to serve ourselves. So I did take a step back from social media for a month. And in that month, I just, I was pretty much in monk mode. All I was doing was reading and meditating and praying and just wasn't, I, I disconnected from my phone so much that I had an app, track it. They said the average weekday usage was 17 minutes per day on my phone, which was just so I love it. insane and, and beautiful to, to think about. So when I came back to social media in wake of George Floyd, because obviously being disconnected, I'm not watching the news, I'm not on social media, I'm not hearing about anything, but I am still coaching my students. And during my mastermind call, a lot of the women started breaking down and I was just like, oh wow, like I think I think I need to come back. I need I think I need to, to check back in and see what's going on. And getting back on and just seeing, I, I came back on social media during Blackout Tuesday. I don't know if you remember that, but it was- I, think I do, yeah. Okay, yeah, it, it, June 2nd, I think, where everyone posted a black square to show solidarity for the black community. And that was such a humbling and powerful visual thing to see. Because for me, I was just like, whoa, this many people, okay, whoa, whoa, where people are dialed in, people people care. Like, it, it, you know, it, it's- it's this rare sense of permanence with with this movement because you know every time this happens usually it's it trends for the weekend and then it's done but i felt this like calling and this tug on my heart to 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 occupy a lane that not many people would be willing to drive or walk in and it's really hard to do ally education because it takes a lot of levels of just patience and humbling yourself and taking a step back and saying, okay, if I was the person on the other end trying to learn and digest this information, how would I want to receive it? And I would just continue to ask God to, to speak through me with love and speak through me with compassion and kindness, because I do understand the anger, the frustration, the stress, the emotions that are coming from the Black community. It can be overwhelming for someone who is trying to do better. So I, I really just wanted to find a way to be a part of this movement in a way that I think would would move the most people. And a hundred and what I think 130,000 new followers in a month and just millions now of impressions across my posts. It's insane, but it, it just goes to show that when you do something that it's bigger than you and it, it feels like a God-sized assignment, lean in. Yeah. And I think, and we talked about this, you're a member of my master collaboratory for redemptive entrepreneurs. And you, we talked about this recently. Like I think sometimes as Christians, we are called to say things that are quote unquote off brand, right? Like this was pretty off brand for you that like usually talks about travel, right? But you felt the Lord saying, Hey, you got to speak into these issues, right? And call out sin uh, and fight for the kingdom. And so I just, I love that. I think that's a really great example of an act of obedience on your end. Hey, go back, go back to this like period of May where you disconnected from news and social media. You listen to this podcast, you know, we talk about habits and routines. One of the, I think most valuable habits of my life over the last few years has been, I basically 
consume zero news. Like, like literally, like I hear about big stories because people tell me about them, right? I consume almost nothing. For that one month period in your life, what, what was the effect on you from just totally disconnecting from the kingdom of noise, as C.S. Lewis put it? Oh, wow. Yeah, that's a powerful way to put it. Peace, freedom. I felt this just the ability to check back in with myself, because when everyone is always telling you what to feel, how to feel, what to care about, you lose track of what's going on in your heart and what's going on in your brain and connecting those two organs and saying, wait, why do I feel off base here? And so I really got to just check back in with myself, check back in with God, started reading the Bible from front to back, something I've been wanting to do for a long time. And um, I really just got to take ownership of my life again, which felt really powerful. Yeah, I'm a big fan of that habit. All right, let's talk about daily routines for you. I'm very curious, from the moment you wake up to the moment you go to bed, what's the TikTok of your day look like? Man, I I am obsessed with my routine. Yeah, me too. To the point where I'm just like, I think I want to be single forever because if someone impose <laughs> on this routine, like, I don't know if I can make it work. I'm just kidding. But as soon as I wake up, I have two. Ha- half kidding. Half kidding. <laughs> yeah. Let's be clear. <laughs> I want to first disclaim that I have two beds. So I have a day bed in my living room and then I have the bed in my bedroom. I've been sleeping in my day bed because I have the ceiling to floor windows and when waking up to just a starry sky, sometimes I sleep on my balcony or waking up to like a blue sky is just the, the best thing. So if I do that, I have my incense right next to me. So immediately, first thing I do when I wake up, I have my glass of water on my nightstand and I'll, I'll drink that. Just I, I don't know where I read it, but they said 16 ounces of water first thing when you wake up. Interesting. By the way, what time are you, what time are you waking up? Gosh, um, when I was doing like a consistent routine after reading um, The Miracle Morning, I was waking up at 4 a.m. on weekdays, 5 a.m. on weekends. Now now it's closer to about mm, 6 a.m. on weekdays, 7 a.m. on weekends. Okay. Yeah, so then I'll light my incense and then I start, I use the app Calm for my meditation. So mm-hmm. I'll, I'll open up Calm and start playing some uh, soundscapes, usually like ocean waves or something. And then I'll go to the bathroom, I'll brush my teeth, wash my face, and kind of just like freshen up for the day, come back to the living room, meditate, journal, pray, read the Bible. And then usually I'll have like a book that I was reading the night before. I'll read that. And mind you, this is probably in the span of like maybe an hour, hour and a half has passed. I've not touched my phone yet. My phone... Yeah. I'm awake for at least two, two and a half hours before my phone gets touched. Same here. Uh, after, after reading, doing some learning, then I'll do a little light workout. I have these like home stretch training material stuff. After working out, I'll take a shower. I'm playing some music or I'm listening to a podcast. In the meantime, then I'm coming to the kitchen. I'm making some either, now I'm into matcha, but usually it's like coffee or tea but I'm I'm just getting into matcha now. I'll have that, take my morning vitamins, and then I have my content for the day that I'm getting ready to post on social media, which was usually created the night before. I try not to create and publish the same day because I like Hmm. to give myself a night to sleep on the material. Yeah, that's smart. Yeah. Yeah, because you'll you'll always have a download, you know, overnight. You know, God always speaks to me, and so you know he'll he'll say something to me, and I'm like, oh no, gotta gotta add this in, gotta gotta fix fix this, add this in. So well, by the way, let me let me stop you there. So I think there's a lot of genius doing this right before you sleep. There's a lot of good research in Matthew Walker's book Why We Sleep about mm-hmm. how our subconscious is actually processing and working out problems mm-hmm. as we sleep, and, and that's happened to me before. I'll like wake up and like. I'll figure out the outline to a chapter that I was thinking about the night before. So anyways, sorry, continue. 
No, hundred percent. And I also think that reading before bed is helpful in just processing your thoughts and getting yourself yeah. to, yeah, just work out those problems. Okay. And then I usually spend about an hour engaging. So I'm posting the content because right now, especially getting thousands of DMs a day, I, I am not going to give myself that pressure to respond or to read all of them. So I, I spend about an hour engaging, talking, commenting, DMs, um, and then I shut off for the day, log into my email. I do about maybe an hour of emails in the morning. I also have this kind of like block in my schedule where I have the power up, power on, power down, power off. And that's kind of like how I segment my day. Power on is from 9am to 2pm. That's when I'm taking my coaching calls. That's when I'm doing my emails. That's when I'm creating content, editing videos, working with like doing any kind of brand consulting. And then from 2pm to 7pm, my next shift, I do intermittent fasting as well. So that's when I'm probably having my first meal of the day. That's when I'm doing some reading, doing some more journaling, maybe writing something for content for the next day. Yeah. Fitting in anything that I didn't finish in the first power on block. And then from seven to 8 PM. Now I'm trying to go to bed at 8 PM. So seven to 8 PM, that's the power off. That's when I'm doing my final reading for the day, doing any final check-ins. Maybe I'm checking social media to see any like roundups from the day that I missed. But usually the last thing I do before bed is definitely read or, or journal something because I want to be disconnected from any type of electronic right before going to bed. Yeah, I love that. Yeah, I put my phone to bed about an hour, hour and a half before I before I go to bed. I love that you go to bed at eight o'clock. <laughs> I get so much I get so much flack for going to bed at like eight forty five. I'm like, and now I can point to Glow. Big guy Glow goes to bed at eight. Like I'm, I call myself good. like hashtag grandma glow. Sometimes yeah. I have grandma habits. <laughs> yeah, whatever. I'm I'm all about it. So <laughs> hey, you you know we talk a lot on this podcast about how the gospel of Jesus Christ influences the work we do in the world. I want to talk about something in your journey, personally and spiritually, is pretty significant. You know, about a year and a half ago, you had this huge medical scare while you were traveling. Can you talk a little bit about that and specifically how that shaped your view of your work and the Lord's plans for your life? Whew. That was the most traumatic, but powerful things ever happened to me. And I look at it as such a blessing now. So basically I had a 28 centimeter ovarian cyst that had been growing probably over the last year and a half. And even though, again, this is where, this is why ego is so important to demolish and dismantle because we all have an egoic state that we live in, you know, that we feed off of, you know, compliments, whatever things build into that. And as my travel blog was was growing and I was getting these press features, you know, Forbes, Oprah Magazine, of course my head was getting big. And so I'm just like, oh, nothing can stop me. I'm feeling this sense of like just being unstoppable. And here I was though, like behind the scenes, growing something, something was going on. I knew something was wrong, but I was so afraid to get it checked out because I thought it would stop me from traveling that I literally was just, just like, oh, I'll just ignore it. It'll go away on its own. Like the just most ignorant thing to think. Until I found myself in Malta, like crying myself, it, just in pain. I was, it was just this, like, it felt like someone was just like tearing my insides apart. And it was just so excruciating that I had to go ch- get it checked out. And basically they had to like, they gave me, I think 24, 27 hours before they needed to operate. They're like, okay, I don't know how you've been, like, if we didn't know any better, we would think you were seven months pregnant. We don't know how you've been walking around like that. And I was like, yeah, I was shopping in the maternity section, to be honest. Like I was literally trying so hard to hide it, but not acknowledging the root of the cause. 
just so just, you know, in hindsight, it, it's, it's unbelievable the, the lengths that I went to pretend it wasn't there. So flew my mom out to be there for the operation. And it was just, it was so traumatic because they're, they're here asking me all these questions. Do you plan to have kids? You know, cause we're operating on your ovary. And so, you know, there's always complications, you know, if things don't work out, you know, what's your medical insurance to fly your body back. And I'm like, wait, jeez, what, this is in the span of just you know, and I, I'm already getting drugged up and I'm trying to like get myself, re- my body ready for the operation. And so I, I'm here just hysteric and I'm just in disbelief that this is where I was in my life. And thank God, you know, six, I think it was a six or seven hour operation. Everything went well, everything was fine. But in that post recovery, I was on a no fly list for four to six weeks. And I basically, I was, I was miserable. I remember being in my Airbnb and going days, not leaving my couch. I just, I wasn't eating. I wasn't, I I was so, I just remember I was being, I was on painkillers. So of course I'm not in my right state and I'm just so pitiful. And I'm just, when you get so low, of course the suicidal thoughts come and you're just, you're just in such a deep and dark place. And I remember reaching over to my devotional and for that day, I hadn't picked it up and I've been traveling with this devotional for like three years, hadn't picked it up until that day. And I turned to page February 11th. I'll never forget the date. And it said, thank me for the conditions that are requiring you to be still. And I still get emotional thinking about it, but I just, I remember in that moment, just feeling God's presence, just being with me in that room and just telling me to like, this is, this was the plan. Like I, I needed you to slow down. Like I need you to really take a look at what you're doing and what you're building. And, and is, is this what you really want? And I was hanging with the wrong people and I was chasing the wrong things. And it, it, it was such a humbling and necessary moment. And it's just such a blessing looking at the complete 180 that my life has been in the last 16, 18 months. It's amazing the way God works. Obviously, we, we always look at things as like a, a setback or a downfall or, or, or just, you know, we look at the situation for what it is, a very negative experience. But in hindsight, it is the most beautiful and transformative things ever happened to me. Thank you so much for sharing that. I mean, it's such a beautiful testimony about, I don't know, just the unique perspective Christians can have in suffering, right? We can we can genuinely look at things, even you know, an ovarian cyst, and say, "Blessed be the name of the Lord, because He's going to use this for His glory, for my good, for the good of His purposes, for your sanctification." And if that's what it took, man, uh, at the end of the day, that's a that's a good thing for you. It's a good thing for the kingdom and for the Lord getting glory through your suffering. Obviously, nobody wants to suffer, but that's a, that's a really, really beautiful, beautiful testament. I'm curious, did your perspective on your work, did your ambition for your work change after that? What did that look like? 100%. I feel like I got more clear. As someone who is a recovering people pleaser, I think we talked about this. Yeah, yeah. I'm just always like, oh, what do other people like want? Let me make sure everyone else is happy. And I wasn't looking after myself or looking after just the legacy that I was building. And if you're a people pleaser, you are pretty much a doormat. You will get walked over left and right. And I had people use me and I had situations come. And I was like, well, yeah, Glow, you walked into that. So I got razor sharp with my boundaries. I got super clear about who I was letting into my circle. I got really clear about the type of work I was willing to do. And just what I was building, my platform became more, 
I, I don't know. I just felt like there was just a shift in my energy. And I just, I just stopped focusing on things that were no longer serving me and worrying about like vanity metrics and, and things that influencers and bloggers honestly get really caught up in because it, it becomes this popularity contest of who can take the most glamorous shot in their dress, you know, in yeah. the Austrian Alps. And I'm like, Glow, what is this? Like, who cares? Like, you know, I, I'm still producing good content, but what, what are you really after? Are you really about the impact or are you just about the vanity metrics? So I think I got really clear about what I was really doing and building with my platform and reminding myself, okay, if God gave me all of these people to serve, like, am I really serving them to the best of my ability with what I'm posting? I got to be honest, I couldn't do what you do. <laughs> and part of the reason is you've you just touched on. Let me backtrack for a second. So I like, I love to travel. If you go back into my Instagram feed eight years ago, you'd see me posting all the time, like all these magnificent places me and Kara were traveling to. But over the years, I've just grown like much more cognizant about what I'm posting on social media. I basically never post on social media anymore, like personally, and really never post about travel because there's such a dark side to it, right? Like I, I just I just came to a place where the Lord just really convicted me of why I was doing these things. Like I wasn't doing this to glorify him or to serve people while well, I was doing this so that people would think I was cool, right? And that I was going to these amazing places. It's really, it's really easy for it to become a form of self-salvation. Like I'm looking to likes to prove that my life has worth and to prove, honestly, the darkest part of it is to prove I'm better than you at my darkest. You never think about that consciously, right? But, but in your darkest heart of hearts, I think a lot of people do that. I'm really curious, like, if you've struggled with this, like, am I on an island here or have you struggled with this? And if so, like, how do you wrestle with the good thing of revealing God's beautiful creation? I think we can all agree that's a good thing, but also like not making it that form of, of self salvation functionally day to day. Yeah, that's exactly it. And I think it goes back again to Clay Hebert's quote is the, the learn from me, not the look at me type of yeah. content that you're posting. And I just think when I, when I look back on, it's such a competitive field, especially female travel bloggers, because there's so, there's so many, there's a lot more women bloggers than there are male bloggers in the travel industry. So I think a lot of us were trying to compete for the same jobs or trying to take the most glamorous, glamorous and exotic shots. And after a while, yeah, you get to a point, you're like, wait, who is this really helping? Who is this really serving? And society as well, like, you start to learn that people start to correlate the glamour of your life based on the frequency of you posting. And, but you could actually be like living just as well offline. But if you're not posting, people think that, oh, you're not doing anything worth posting. You're not doing anything meaningful. And the month off of social media, the amount of people that were checking in, like, Glow, you haven't posted in, it's been three days. Glow, it's been a week. What's going on? Like, did you die? I was like, what the heck? Like, <laughs> it's amazing how dark people will go when you take, a, take away from social media. Because I didn't announce that I was leaving. I just took a step back. And of course, when you said the precedence of posting daily, then, you know, that's something as well. But yeah, people automatically assume the worst because I wasn't on social media. And I think it goes to show with our society that we put so much pressure and, and so much uh, clout in the fact that if you're posting something, whether you're traveling or not, the fact that you're posting means that like, you know, life has to be amazing for you. And mm -hmm. I tell my students a lot, show up messy, you know, share your story in real time, talk about 
the behind the scenes because Instagram does feel like a curated highlight reel. And if people are constantly seeing that, they're not seeing the truth. You got to give them all the layers. And I think the reason I have such loyal support with my life and the things that I'm doing now is because I talked about, hey guys, I'm traveling on $10 a day. Hey guys, I ran out of money. Hey guys, I'm like, I would share those stories, not for pity, not for sympathy, but to let people know, hey, this stuff is hard. I would talk about all the times I failed as a travel blogger, all the things that I wish I knew so that emerging travel bloggers would be able to look, learn from my mistakes and not make the same ones. Yeah, that's good. All right, Glow, three questions we love to wrap up every conversation with. First, books you recommend or gift most frequently to others? Yeah, definitely. High performance habits just change the way I structure my day. That's by Brennan Burchard. The next one I would say is The Invitation by Araya Mountain Dreamer. And that book is is more spiritual, but it literally, after I read that book, I broke up with my boyfriend. So be careful. <laughs> It was very, it gave me like a courageous push. (laughs) Um, The next book I would recommend is The Essentialism or Essentialism by Greg Hewen. Um, And that one is just discipline pursuit of bless, helping people just really fine tune just all the noise that they're doing and and master one craft. And then I would say The Power of Now by Eckhart Tolle. Uh, A lot of times we have these big ambitions and dreams and goals and we keep pushing it off. And that book really gets you to focus in on like why, why now is so beautiful and powerful and the, the best time to do anything. Hmm. I love that. I was, I was talking with my assistant and her husband last night, I just, just about like in, in startups, kind of my mentality is like, yeah, you're like planning for long-term, but in reality, there's no such thing as long-term. Like exactly. there's only, there's only yeah. tomorrow. We were talking about in the context of like hiring, right? So sure. You want the, the person who's going to be great today, but also going to be great five years from now. But all you know is your needs right now. Maybe you could see a couple months down the road, right? But when things are moving so fast in a startup, it's like, you just got to hire the right person right now. So a lot of beauty in that. And obviously you guys listening can find all those books at jordanrainer.com slash bookshelf. All right, Glow, who would you most like to hear on this podcast? Talk about how the Christian faith influences the work they're doing in the world. I would have to say, and maybe this is an obvious choice, but Tim Tebow, I remember watching his rise to stardom and how he has always been so open and honest about his faith. And I remember as a pastor's kid, you know, religion has always been in my life and faith has always been in my life, but I always remembered being ashamed of it until I found my own relationship with God. And when I would see him on TV, just thanking the Lord and writing scriptures on his, um, what do you call it? The black. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. I I have no idea. Yeah. On his face. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) I was like, man, that guy's so just so bold. And I, I wish I could be that open about my faith. And and now, of course, in the last decade, I've been very open. But I remember just him being a, a, a compass of sorts to what it should feel like to be in a, such a comfortable position with your faith and with your relationship with God that you just want to, to yell it from a mountaintop and tell everyone about it. I don't know that I've ever heard Tim Tebow as an answer to that question, which is crazy. I feel like that's like such an obvious one. And even though I'm a Florida State Seminole, we will uh, we'll try to get we'll try to get Tim on the podcast. That would be an interesting conversation. All right, last question. One piece of advice you've given such great wisdom already, but boil it down to one thing you want to leave this audience with. You know, some of whom are content entrepreneurs. Some of them are different types of entrepreneurs. A lot of them aren't entrepreneurs at all. They're just marketers or sales executives, whatever. But what they share is a deep-seated passion 
to do their most exceptional work for the glory of God and the good of others. What do you want to leave them with, Glow? Yeah, you know, someone sent me a message the other day and I thought it was so powerful. And she said, your mentorship, Glow, is like a token to what humanity can accomplish. And I think if everyone had that idea within themselves that you can be such a light to the, and you can show people the extent of humanity's beauty when you just lean into your light and you let, you just speak with love and speak with kindness and compassion. And I think we're all walking around really traumatized and really triggered and we're all searching for meaning and we're all pondering our existence. And a lot of times we forget that in our search, try not to step on other people's, you know, shoulders and hands. And, you know, you can walk your lane and recover from your past trauma, but also discover the beautiful aspects of life and yourself and what you can contribute to the world. This journey of life is so messy and complex, but if you lean into the beauty and you lean into a service-driven mindset, it's amazing what this world can become. Yeah, if there's ever a time that the world's craving the salt of the earth and the light of the world, as Jesus said, it's right now. And we do that when we serve with the ministry of excellence glow. I want to commend you for the exceptional work you do, serving your audience through the Ministry of Excellence. You're one of the most talented bloggers I've ever known. Thank you for showcasing the beauty of God's creation and every square inch of that creation. Guys, if you want to check out Glow's blog, you can find her at theblogabroad.com. On Instagram, she's at Glow Graphics. And I would encourage you guys to go visit allyresourceguide.com. So Glow, tell us a little bit about this product. I'm, I'm loving this thing. So I want you to pitch it real quick. Yeah. Thank you so much. It's been a labor of love, honestly, especially again with this movement, I noticed how many people just wanted to learn, but they didn't know where to start. And the overwhelm of like, I want to do better as a person, but where do I start? And so I wanted to create this 30 days and 30 ways to be a better ally to the black community. So whether subconsciously or verbally in your everyday life, there might be certain behaviors or thoughts or actions that you're taking or not taking that could be harmful to the Black community. And so I kind of break down resources, myths, personal stories, and my just my experience as a Black woman growing up in the U.S. and ways I've had to navigate being on teams, being in spaces and yeah, I just really wanted to create something that was kind of like a safe space for people to kind of learn in their own way and at their own pace um, how to be a better ally. So yeah, it's it's, it's been amazing, the, the feedback so far, and I'm really proud of it. Yeah, I bought a copy as soon as you released it. I'm loving it. And I would encourage everybody to go click a link in the show notes and go pick up a copy as well. Glow, thank you so much for hanging out with me today. This is a lot of fun. Thank you so much for having me. Honestly, this was amazing. Man, I love Glow. I really, really enjoyed that episode. I hope you did too. Hey, by the way, if you want to be collaborating with other Christian entrepreneurs like Glow, make sure you head on over to jordanrainer.com slash CFRE to sign up for our community for redemptive entrepreneurs. Hey, I hope you guys love this episode. If you do, make sure you tune in next week. I'll see you then.